So if you are ready, I'm going to invite you to go with me. We're going to pick up this series on the work of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. So we're going to go where we left off. Last week, I take you to Acts chapter 2. I call it the day that changed the world because this was the day the Holy Spirit came and it literally changed our world. So we go to Acts chapter 2. I read for you from verse 1 all the way to verse 21. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then they saw what seems to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues or other languages as the Spirit enabled them. And now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. And then utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parsians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans, Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Can you imagine the number of languages that are there? You know, and amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. In other words, they will hear them babbling away and they said, these guys must be drunk. And then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. In other words, the pub is not open yet, so they're not drunk. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above, signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be safe. Lord, I thank you for your word. Your word that instructs us, inspires us, and I pray this morning, this afternoon, as your word goes forth, you will speak to us. God, help us again to stand in wonder of what you did on the day of Pentecost when your Holy Spirit was poured out upon your church. Lord, you birthed the New Testament church in power, and I ask you today, come and bring us into this power that we can experience for ourselves in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I love telling this story about a, a church, you know, that caught fire because of an electrical fault, you know, in the building. And then the whole church was burning down. And the moment news got out, the first person to get to the, the scene was, of course, the pastor. And he stood there watching helplessly as his church was burning down. The next person, interestingly, was the old man who lived next door to the church. Now, ironically, even though this old man lived next door to the church, he has never visited the church before. 
And then this pastor was standing there with the old man watching the church burning, and then he still had a sense of humor. <laughs> so he turned to the old man and he said, you know, isn't it strange that all this time you lived next door to the church and you never came, but tonight my church is burning down and you came. And then the old man turned to the pastor and said, well, this is the first time I see this church on fire. <laughs> you got that? This is the first time I see this church on fire. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to know this. When the church comes on fire, the world will be drawn to it. See, I think it was John Wesley who used to train his preachers and then before he sent them out, he would tell them this, set yourself on fire and the world will come and see you burn. We set ourselves on fire and the world will come to see us burn. And I want you to know this afternoon, we are going back to the day when the fire started. It was the day that changed our world. Now we call it the day of Pentecost. Now the, the church at large calls it the day of Pentecost. Now the day of Pentecost, you need to understand, brothers and sisters, was crucial. It's a very crucial day in the history of the church. You can say that it was the day the church blast off. It was the day when the engine of the church came on. The day when the missile was fired. The day when the church was sent. The new body of Christ, remember from last week, the new body of Christ was about to be anointed with power. And if you remember, the day when Jesus was anointed at the River Jordan, the supernatural sign was a dove that descended upon him, right? On the day when the, when the church was anointed, which is the day of Pentecost, the supernatural signs were tongues of fire that separated and then come resting on each one of them. There were at least 120 of them in the upper room, which means that there were 120 flames that came and rest one on each one of them. It was a day, it was a day of Pentecost. The word Pentecost means 50th. Penta means five, right? Pentagram, five-sided. So pen, Pentecost, it means 50th. It was exactly 50 days after the Feast of Passover. Exactly 50 days after Jesus was crucified, then came the Feast of Pentecost. Now, the day of Pentecost, which is when they will celebrate the Feast of Pentecost, was also a harvest festival. In other words, it was a day that the people of Israel will be bringing in the, fresh, the first fruits of the harvest. Okay, so it was a harvest festival. It's also interesting to remember that the Ten Commandments, the law, was also given on the Feast of Pentecost many years before. But the difference is this. When the law was given by Moses on Mount Sinai, 3,000 people died, remember? After he came down, he saw them worshipping the golden calf. He threw the... God began to judge them. 3,000, when the law was given, 3,000 people died. But the difference is, on this day of Pentecost, when the Spirit was given, 3,000 people were saved. How many of you say amen to that? Which tells us this, you know, it is not the commandments, it's the Spirit that gives life. The law brings death, but it's the Spirit that gives life. Now, we dive into the passage itself. And then let's observe, let's ex examine what actually happened on the day of Pentecost. What actually happened when the, on the day of blast off? So here are three things I'd like you to observe. Firstly is this, notice what they heard audibly. They heard something audibly. Acts chapter 2 verse 2 
says this, suddenly a sound, that means it's an audible thing, right? A sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven, filled the whole house where they were sitting. There were 120 people waiting in the upper room. Their minds were in the Word. They were meditating on what Jesus said to them. Don't go anywhere. Wait here in Jerusalem, right? They were meditating on the Word. Their hearts were in prayer. That's the posture of the early church at that time. So listen to me, brothers and sisters. If for anything powerful to happen in the church, this must be the posture of the individual Christian. For if, how many of you want to see revival? If you really want to see revival, then our minds must be in the Word and our hearts must be in prayer. It is when our minds are meditating on God's Word, our hearts are earnestly seeking after God, it will happen. See, and, and that's what the posture of the early church was. Their minds meditating on the promises, waiting on God to fulfill His promise. Their hearts were in prayer, and then it happened. And I want you to notice, it did not happen on some dark, spooky night, but it happened at 9 o'clock in the morning. It was 9 o'clock in the morning, in broad daylight, within the building that they were in, they heard a gale. They heard the blowing of a mighty wind. And the Bible puts it this way, it was the sound of a mighty rushing wind. That's what they heard, audibly. There was a blowing of a violent wind in another translation. The Greek word that was used there is P-N-O-E, uh, na'a, not P-N-O-E. It actually speaks of something that is strong, movement of air, okay? It is not, and notice that it was not some soft, gentle breeze, but it was a mighty, invisible power that blew into the room. It reminded me of all those trees, you know, that is next to Ocean Reef. If you ever take a drive up north and then you, you drive by o Ocean Reef Road, you see all the trees next to the ocean, they all lean on one side. Why? Because it's testimony of the wind that blow in from the ocean. All the trees grow up sideways. But it is testimony of the, of, of the power that is in the wind. And brothers and sisters, that is what the Scripture is trying to bring to us. Okay, and, and it was powerful enough. There was a sound of a mighty rushing wind and it was powerful enough to be heard and to be felt by all 120 of them. And I think it is consistent with the Hebrew understanding of wind because the Hebrew equivalent of this Greek word would be ruach. And that's the word used for wind, breath, spirit in the Hebrew. Okay, and, and uh, this word ruach is one of those words where it sounds exactly like what it is. It's like the word splash. You know, if, if, if you think of water splashing on the floor, there's no other way to describe it except splash. The word itself describes the action. So ruach is like that. Uh, when you say this word ruach, you must have the air coming out at the end. Ruach. You got to be the kind of feeling. Ruach. It's got to be come with moving air. You understand? Because that's what it is. It is moving air. It comes with force, in other words. Okay? And, 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 and there are, in, in the Hebrew, there are two, two words that can be translated as breath. One is for soft, gentle breathing, which is what all of us are going through now. Okay? How many of you know you're breathing? You're breathing, right? You may not feel it, but you're breathing. But the other word, ruach, is when there's force. 
it is not the breathing that you are experiencing now. It's more breathing that you experience after you sprint for 100 meters. And then how would you be breathing? Breathing. You'll be going, and then it's air coming out. You can feel it. There's movement. And I think that was what's happening on that day. The word ruach, that's what it is. This is the word used for spirit in the Bible. The ruach of God. It's that like howling gale that propels us into action. It can be seen, it can be heard, it can be tangibly felt. Uh, remember what happened to Nicodemus in John chapter 3? He came to Jesus one night, you know, deep in the night, and he asked Jesus, how can a man be born again? And they were speaking to one another on top of the roof, okay? And, and then with a strong Jerusalem wind blowing in their face, Jesus turned to Nicodemus and said this in John 3, 8. He says, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Now let me ask you, can you see the wind? Can you see the wind? No. Can you feel the effects? Definitely. When wind begins to blow, we may not be able to see it, but we can feel its effects. Right? When wind is blowing, we can see the trees bending. You can hear the leaves rustling. You can see the dust flying off the floor. Right? You can see its effects. That's the way it is with the Holy Spirit. We cannot see the Holy Spirit, but we can feel His power working in us. And when the Ruach of God blows into our life, we cannot miss it. You cannot. You know that you know the Holy Spirit have touched you. And that is why we can actually forget the day when we said the sinner's prayer, but you will never forget the day when the Holy Spirit encounter you. The day when you were filled with the Holy Spirit's power, you will never forget that day. And I'm going to show it to you next week when we, when we take this a little further. But here's a question. My question for all of us, have you experienced this mighty power of the Ruach of God in your life? Do you know the transforming effects of the Holy Spirit in your daily life? Has that Holy Spirit caused you to desire His presence, to desire His Word, to actually be a, one to have that intimacy with God? Have you experienced that? I hope you have. You know, are, are, we, uh, are we trying to live out our spiritual life in the power of the Spirit or just in our own strength? I think that's a big question we need to ask. I know the day when you were born again, you already have the Holy Spirit. My question to all of us today is, does the Holy Spirit have you? I know we all have the Holy Spirit, but do the Holy Spirit have us? Have we reached this place, you know, where we are so cognizant of the fact that I cannot do, I cannot live out this Christian life without the Holy Spirit's power. I can't live that victorious Christian life without His power working in me. And first thing you notice is this, what they heard audibly. Here's the second thing. Notice what they saw visibly. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 3 now. After they heard the sound of a mighty rushing wind, then the next thing is they saw what seems to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. When the Spirit descended, brothers and sisters, they saw fire. And I think this is again consistent with the Scriptures because all through the Old Testament, we see God manifesting Himself in the form of fire. Remember Moses met God at the burning bush. There was a fire that was 
burning the bush but not consuming it. It was miraculous. It's the presence of God. The Israelites were led by a pillar of fire in the wilderness, so they know that it's God. Elijah saw the fire of God descending and then consuming the sacrifices of Mount Carmel. Malachi talks about the refiner's fire that will come in the last days. So when the fire came on the day of Pentecost and they saw these tongues of fire, they knew without a doubt that is God. They never doubted that because they knew He was consistent. He was wind, He was fire, they knew it. And what an awesome sight it must be, right? You imagine yourself in that room. What an awesome sight it must be to see those tongues of fire that came burning downwards instead of upwards. How many of you realize that's a miracle? How many of you know hot air rises? But that day, nature was reversed. The fire came down. It didn't go up. It came down. It was supernatural from day one. Hebrews 12, verse 29. The writer of Hebrews tells us this, for our God is a consuming fire. Now, we all know that because we read it in the Bible. But the disciples saw it on the day of Pentecost. They saw it with their own eyes, those tongues of fire coming down. Notice what they heard audibly, the sound of a rushing wind. Notice what they saw visibly, tongues of fire. Then that led to the last thing, what they spoke verbally. Read the next verse now in verse 4. All of them were then filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. You see, when the wind blew into the house, it first filled up the whole house, Okay, then they begin to fill the disciples from the inside out. First, it filled up the house on the outside. Then they begin to fill the disciples on the inside. In other words, on that day, they were literally in the Spirit, and the Spirit is now in them. That was what happened. It was feeling all in all, totally enveloped in it. In other words, immersed or baptized, if you like. And then something amazing happened. They were filled on the outside, then they were filled on the inside, and how many of you know, whatever fills us on the inside ultimately has to come out. It has to overflow. And guess where is the overflow pipe? <laughs> come on, where is the overflow pipe? It's in the mouth, right? You get so filled up inside, it has to come out somewhere and it overflows from the mouth. And again, that's consistent with the New Testament because Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, Jesus said this, for out of the overflow of the heart, what will happen? Your mouth will speak. What we are full of inside ultimately comes out in our mouth, in the things we say. See, one of the marks of the Holy Spirit's feeling is always through the mouth. And next week, I want to show you this, that consistently each time, they encounter the Holy Spirit, it always overflows through the mouth, either through tongues, prophecies, or, inter or, or, or spontaneous praise. They all end up either prophesying, speaking in tongues, or they end up praising God spontaneously. And again, consistent in the New Testament. Because you look at what happened in, when Paul wrote Ephesians 5, verse 18. Paul spoke to the Ephesians and he said this, And do not be drunk with wine but be being filled with the Holy Spirit. And then what will happen? You will speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord. How many of you know when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, what, it, what will happen next? 
He said, don't be drunk with wine, but be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Then what will happen? You will speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. It comes out spontaneously. You can't help it. And when that happened to the, to the disciples on the day of Pentecost, they overflowed, they started speaking in other languages. The people all around heard the disciples speaking in languages they have never learned. And then what happened? Look at verse 6 now. When they heard this sound, in other words, 120 of them got filled and then they overflowed. They all started speaking in tongues. They were so loud, it actually drew a crowd. And in verse 6, he actually says, when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Can you imagine how loud it must have been? 120 people speaking in all kinds of languages. And then what happened? A crowd came. And it's not a small crowd. There were at least 3,000 of them, if not more. Because 3,000 were added to the church that day. It was a huge crowd. And we, we, 3,000 is a lot of people. Okay, fill up the whole field if you like. That was what's happening. Now, what was happening that day was this. I think God was literally bypassing their minds and using their mouths. And they were speaking in languages they have never learned. Now, I know of documented cases of people who under the power of the Holy Spirit started speaking known languages that they have never learned. It's almost like, uh, I've never learned Japanese, but what came out of my mouth was Japanese, you know? And they, they, and they don't even know that they're speaking Japanese, okay? I, I know that this is entirely possible, that there are people who, under the power of God, would speak in languages, known languages that they've never known. However, I think it's needful for me to also point out that Acts chapter 2 did not really describe what languages they were speaking it only recorded that each one heard their own language being spoken. So hear me, brothers and sisters. Thus, I think it is entirely possible also that the miracles was not just in their speaking because they were speaking under the anointing of the Spirit, and that's miraculous. They spoke as the Spirit gave them utterance, but the miracle could also be in their hearing. They heard their own language, their vernacular, in their own, they, they heard it in their own ears. I think the miracle may not just be in the fact that they were speaking under the, uh, the, the anointing of the Spirit, but people, even from the perspective of the hearer, they could be hearing a miraculous thing. Now, I, I, I started thinking about this because can you imagine 120 people, every one of them speaking in, in, in tongues, and there are so many different languages going on, 120 fillers going all at the same time. And then you have 3,000, if not more people, who are all gathering around, listening to all this, and they could actually figure out what these guys are saying. Understand, they weren't speaking with a loudspeaker system, okay? They were just speaking. That's it. Can you imagine 3,000 people, that last guy in the room, how could he possibly hear it? I think the miracle is not just in their speaking, the miracle is also in their hearing. They heard it in their own vernacular. They could well be speaking in, in a heavenly language and they heard it in Japanese or whatever the language may be, Persian or whatever. And the miracle could just be that too. But my point is this, it was a miraculous thing that happened on that day. Totally miraculous. And you also notice the next thing. Notice that the, the words that they were articulating, 
they were not directed to men. They were directed to God. They were not meant to speak to people around them as much as they were directed to God. They, what were they doing? They were not just praying. They were praising God, declaring the wonders of God. Holy Spirit was exalting God to them. And that's what's going on. Now, I ask myself, why does God want to do that? I think it's because our minds often need to be subjected to the Spirit. Our minds need to be subjected to the Spirit. Now, we all know that one of the hindrances, one of the biggest hindrances to our spiritual walk is the unrenewed mind. Listen to me carefully. Our unrenewed mind is a huge hindrance to our walk with God. Now, please understand, I'm totally aware that our minds and our intellect, they are gifts from God. I don't think any Christian should be unthinking. You don't need to park your minds outside before you come in and worship. We should worship God with all of our heart and all of our soul, all of our mind. We must love God. What is evidence of a mind in love with God is when we think thoughts after Him. Nothing wrong with that. You see, I think that mind and intellect, they are gifts from God. It can be used to love God, to think thoughts after Him. But our minds have its limitations. That's why the prophet said in Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. This is God telling us. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. All the, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so is my way higher than yours. Okay? And your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. How many of you know it's great to have a mind? Great to have intellect. They are gifts from God. God gave it to us. But the unrenewed mind, needs to be renewed. It has its limitation. But when our minds are renewed by the Word, illuminated by the Spirit, it can become a powerful tool to actually love God with, to think thoughts after God. How do you renew your mind? It is through the Word. Right? Romans chapter 12, verse 1 to 3, don't, you know, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. Through what? The Word of God. Okay, and not only the Word of God, the second thing is this, it's the illumination of the Holy Spirit. See, because it is the Holy Spirit that helps us to spiritually discern everything that is in the Word. That's why Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 10 to 12, the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows the person's thoughts except their own spirit within them. How, how would anybody know what you're thinking? Only you know. Only your inner man will know what you're thinking inside. In the same way, uh, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. And when we have received, what we have received is not the Spirit of this world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given to us. Hallelujah. The Holy Spirit, my friends, are given so that He may reveal God's truth to us and unveil God's thoughts to us. Spiritual things must be spiritually discerned. And on that day, the Lord illuminated them. Such a powerful thing. Think about it. Spiritual things must be spiritually discerned. Right? For example, sometimes we don't even know how to pray, right? We pray until we run out of words, we run out of ideas. And that is when God, that's why God sometimes gives us a prayer language. It's so that we can go direct in the Spirit. 
Romans 8, verse 26 and 27, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Sometimes our prayer life really needs a fresh invasion of energy, right? We struggle in our prayer life. And in, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what to, we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with, word, with wordless groans. And He who searches our heart knows the mind of the Spirit. And then the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. That was what happened on that day. The Spirit of God came. You see, they already have the Spirit, but that day, the Spirit had them. Finally, the Spirit had them. They were yielded and surrendered, finally. Now, back to our text. Notice that in chapter 1, the disciples were praying, but now in chapter 2, they were praising God from prayer to praise. Now, one thing I've observed is that one of the marks of a Spirit-filled man is joy. What do you think? don't believe, just look at Lester when he gets up here. <laughs> Full of joy. I think joy is an amazing thing. It comes with when the Holy Spirit fills us. It's like a spirit of joy that comes and people begin to praise God. See, anybody can pray. Even a pre-believer prays when they get in trouble. But only a, when a, but a spirit-filled man can praise God with abandonment. I find that amazing. And then the joy of the Lord becomes our strength. See, when the Spirit of God comes upon us in power, you will be healed of what I call spiritual lockjaw. <laughs> Sometimes you got lockjaw. You know, I, I experienced that myself. You know, I, when, before I was filled with the Spirit, I could not pray in public. You know, I, I'm so afraid to pray in public. I feel uncomfortable praying in public. You know, but I could, I, couldn't, I could not say praise the Lord or Jesus without having my hair stand up. But the day when I encountered the Holy Spirit, everything changed. Praise God, you know, the empowering of the Holy Spirit healed me of this spiritual lockjaw. My mouth will open now to declare the wonders of God. And on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit filled the house that they were in and then it began to fill their inside as well. And then their mouths were open. Praises begin to flow in that heavenly language. All 120 of them were praising God out loud. It was so spontaneous. It was so loud. At least 3,000 people came to see what came over them. And they were so loud that someone said, these guys must be drunk with wine. And then Peter almost had to say sarcastically, you know, it's only nine o'clock in the morning. The pubs are not even open. We are not drunk with alcoholic spirit, but we are drunk with the Holy Spirit. And do you know what's so amazing about this event? What is the key truth in Acts chapter 2? I think for the first time in history, God is now in His people and have total control of them. It was the day when they met the third person of the Godhead. And Jesus said to them in John, remember Jesus said to them in John 14, 17, now He has come to pass. Jesus told them in John 14, before He ascended, He said, the Spirit of truth, the world cannot accept Him because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him, for He lives with you at that time in John 14, but He will be in you. In John 14, He was with them, but in Acts chapter 2, He is now in them. 
in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit only comes upon temporarily upon selected people, usually prophets, kings and priests, to carry out a task or to fulfill an assignment. But now in Acts chapter 2, He has come to live in all of us. Hallelujah. Joel chapter 2 was the promise and that's why Peter referred to it. But Acts chapter 2 is the fulfillment. Then remember John 14, 23 goes on to say this. Jesus then replied, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. You know, it's not just the Holy Spirit, but now the entire Godhead is dwelling in us. What an awesome moment. How many of you agree? That's awesome, you know. Are you excited? Hey, are you excited? It's amazing, you know. The God of the universe, the one who created the heavens and the earth, have chosen to make his home in us. Teeny weeny us. And he has chosen to actually make his home in us. I think that's a mystery. It's an amazing mystery. I think this is the mystery of the ages that Paul talks about in Colossians 1.26. And now it's been revealed. They finally get it. Remember what Colossians 1.26 says, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. We all now know, to them God has chosen to make known amongst the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is what? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Hallelujah. Now God lives in teeny weeny man. For the first time in history, God has come to live in man. I think this is the most powerful truth of Pentecost. The key truth of Christmas is Emmanuel. God is with us. But the key truth of Pentecost is God is in us now. God is in us. And this is what the disciples need in order to fulfill their task, in order to fulfill the Great Commission. This is what we need to fulfill our task. Remember what we said last week? The Great Commission requires this great compulsion of the Holy Spirit. At the point of our conversion, we all already have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. But at the point of the empowering, the Holy Spirit is going, now going to have us. It's not just me having the Holy Spirit. I must make sure the Holy Spirit have me. I am yielded, surrendered to Him. So my question for all of us today is this. Are we ready? Are we desirous of wanting to be empowered by the Holy Spirit? Are we desirous of coming to that place where it's not just about me knowing that I have the Holy Spirit, but I want to know that the Holy Spirit has me. I want to reach this place where I can be surrendered to Him. And I say, God, I cannot live this Christian life in my own strength. I really need the power of your Holy Spirit. Come and live in and through me. So many things I want to do, I can't. I need you. And I think that this can be every one of our experience. And, I, you know, during this season, God is meeting, encountering different people at different times, in different ways. And it's not, again, I'm, it's not all just about, let's all speak in tongues. That's not my point. I'm saying, let's all be yielded to the Spirit. Let's all rely on Him. Let's all allow the Holy Spirit to make us hungry, make us thirsty for His Word, for prayer, for all that. That's what we're looking for. Make the, let the Holy Spirit come and make us desirous to be intimate with Him. I don't want a substandard Christian life. 
I want a Christian life that is on fire for Him. I want a Christian life that really, this, they love His Word. A Christian life that enables me to walk in victory. I don't want to have to keep on struggling with my own emotions, you know, my own temptation and all these things and we keep, keep failing because we're using our own strength. I need the power of your Holy Spirit. And I know there are things happening and this morning, uh, I know there are things happening, sometimes we don't get to see it. So this morning, I, I put together a video so that we can hear the story of this beautiful couple that came from Brazil her husband is Japanese and the wife is uh, um, Chinese from Brazil. And hear their story and what God is doing right now. And then I'll come back and we're going to enter a time of prayer. Would you watch the screen and hear their story?
Amen. Let's give the Lord a good hand for what He's doing uh, in the lives of the Nashidas. You know, I, how many of you would identify with what they've gone through? And you could identify with the sentiments they have and the experience they have. I think it's amazing. I, I could. You know, like the Nashidas, I was saved in the Brethren Church where I was taught that we already have the Spirit when we come to Christ, which is absolutely true. But they also told me that the gifts of the Holy Spirit have ceased, which is not true. And then they told me that I just need to study the Word of God and apply it, which is absolutely true again. But nothing much was said about the person and the power of the Holy Spirit. And like Nelson and Margaret, I tried to live right, but I struggled a lot in my own strength. The things that I know I should do because it's in the Word of God, I don't have the strength to actually do it. The things that I know I shouldn't do because I know from the Word of God is displeasing to God, I end up doing. And there are so many occasions I felt so powerless, I felt so defeated. But I know beyond, beyond a shadow of doubt that from the day I came to Christ, I already have the Spirit dwelling in me. Failing which, I cannot even be a Christian, right? Without the Holy Spirit, you can't even call God Father. So I definitely have the Spirit. But the, the issue is this, even though I have the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit did not have me. I was not yielded and surrendered. I was still trying to live it all out in my own strength until the day I became cognizant and I realized that I need not go on struggling to live the Christian life in my own strength, but I actually can. I need not go on in my own powerlessness, but I can turn to Jesus who is the giver of the Holy Spirit and He can empower me and the day that I met the Lord, I realized that things were never the same again. The Christian life is never meant to be lived in our own strength. It is meant to be lived not by might nor by power, but by His Spirit. And then Acts 1.8 came to pass. And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. This afternoon, if you, like me, have sensed your own powerlessness and you feel like you're in dire need of a greater dimension of the Holy Spirit's power in your life, like what Margaret said, you can come and simply ask Jesus and He will not give you anything else except the Holy Spirit and He will grant you the desires of your heart and this day could be the day that will change your world. Why not? Would you stand together with me? Even those of you online, would you just stand and respond with me? Thank you, Lord. I invite you just to take a few moments and you allow the Holy Spirit to just say and speak to you. You know, it's not about moments of coming to the altar alone, but it is a deep, deep desire. That is the starting point. It's not what can happen at the altar, but it is what's the desires on our heart. Because if you truly desire it, God will meet you where you are and He will empower you. So I'm going to invite us as we sing this song that the worship team will lead us. That if this morning you feel that, Hasabani, I really need a fresh empowering of the Spirit. Yes, I'm struggling 
with many things. I don't seem to have victory over my habits, over things that I know I shouldn't do. I don't have the strength to do it, but I need an empowering. Then I invite you to come and just do business with the Lord. Come to a place where you could allow God to meet you at your point of need. And I believe God will meet us. Thank you, Lord. Let's worship Him. And then I invite you to come. Thank you, Lord. Holy Spirit, yes, Lord, fall afresh on me. Fill me with your power. Satisfy my need. Only you can make me whole. Yes, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. Yes, Lord. We're going to sing this again. And as we sing, I open this altar for you to come. If you know that you need prayer today, you just want to come and talk to God and just want to have a place. Whether you want to kneel, you want to stand, it doesn't matter. You just come from everywhere, from the top to the bottom. If you need prayer this morning, you just come this afternoon and just allow us to let the worship, let the ministry just minister to you, okay? So as we sing, the altar is open for you to come. Come and be empowered by the Spirit. Yeah, you know, all of us already have the Spirit, but this morning, I pray that the Holy Spirit will have you, that He'll be released from you, from within you, those rivers of living water can flow. Anyone else who need to come, you just quickly come as we worship. Yes, Lord. Only you can make me whole. Yes, Lord, give me strength to make me grow. Yes, Lord. You know, some of us, in the past, you have encountered the Holy Spirit and you have experienced what is it like to be filled with the Spirit. But you know, all of us leak and sometimes we just need the Holy Spirit to fill us afresh and that we may receive a fresh anointing from Him. So if you need to do that, you can also come. As Ephesians 5.18 says, don't be drunk with wine, but be being filled with the Holy Spirit. And then out of us will flow psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. If you are going through seasons where you know you can't seem to experience the victory, then you come and let the Lord empower you. Give me strength to make me grow. Come, Holy Spirit, fall afresh on. We're singing one last time. Those of you who need to come, quickly come, and then we're going to start praying. Holy Spirit, amen. Thank you, Lord. Fall afresh on me, 
With your power, amen. Yes, Lord, for it is by my need. Only you can make me whole. Give me strength and make me grow. Yes, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit, yes, Lord, fall afresh on me. Amen. Thank you, Lord. You know, I want to invite some of the pastors, leaders here. Would you just come and help us pray for the people that are in front? Join faith together with them and just let the Lord minister to each one of them. And congregation, I know that all of us, desire, you know, to walk close with the Holy Spirit. That he, we all desire and recognize that in our own strength, we can't do it. So I want to pray for you this morning that as we take this year to get to know the person and the power of the Holy Spirit, that each one of us will also draw near in our own way to say, God, be real to me. Thank you for being my helper to do all these things. Yeah? So I want to pray for you. And then after that, you know, if you need to go, you can go. But if some of you want to stay back and linger a while in the presence of God, we will take some time to pray and minister to the people in front. So receive as I pray for you. Father, thank you that as a church, we know that we cannot do without the power of your Spirit. We recognize that we cannot live this Christian life in our own strength. Lord, we cannot live this life of victory over sin, live this life of purity, live this life of, of integrity without your Holy Spirit's power. And so God, would you anoint us, every one of us, fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. God, may your Holy Spirit give us every day a fresh desire to be in your presence, a hunger for your word, a hunger to be with you and to be intimate with you. Lord, we pray as the early church prays, Come, Holy Spirit, come upon us afresh and fill us. And God, I pray that in this season, as each one of us have that desire in our heart, you will meet us at our point of need. God, may your word become alive to us. May our prayer life be empowered by your spirit. And may our intimacy with you grow deeper and deeper and deeper. So come, Holy Spirit and be real, and be so real to us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. 